thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Sword and Trial. Today, we have in the studio with us our dear friend, Daryl Harrison, who comes to us all the way from California. Uh, many of you will be familiar with Daryl because he is co-host of the Just Thinking podcast. He's also the author of one book from Founders Press and another one that will be forthcoming that you'll hear about during this episode. We would appreciate it if you would pass this episode around to others and let them sit in while Graham and I talk with Daryl about just thinking about the state. Welcome to the Sword and Trial. Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exist for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. And I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. And this is Daryl Harrison. Brother, thank you for joining us here on the Sword and Trial. Tom, Graham, good to be with you gentlemen. All the way from California. All the way from the People's Republic of California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about the weather there is great, better than it is here. We're a little hot and sticky right now. Yeah, it's hot and sticky. You know, I'm from the South. Being back here in Florida just brings back memories of what it was like to live uh, in Georgia all those years. But uh, it's a good feeling, man. I'm always uh, welcome to any opportunity to get back to the South, man. Good. Absolutely. Well, we're delighted to have you. And uh, Daryl was our 2023 convocation speaker for the Institute of Public Theology. So he's in town for that as well. And uh, we're just grateful. Brother, I was grateful. I was reflecting on the relationship that began in 2018 yep. when I first met you. And I just praise God for bringing you into my life and for the stewardship of the gifts that he's given to you. Uh, you've been out in California now. You left Georgia, yep. which was, man, hard for me to believe that you leave Georgia, yeah. but you did. And you've been out in California now. Five years. Five years. Yeah, five years. It was December. Well, we physically touched down in uh, Southern California in January of 2019. So it's come up on five years, uh, but yeah, working with Grace to You and John MacArthur. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with Grace to You, Grace to You is the media ministry of uh, Pastor John MacArthur, who's the senior pastor at Grace Community Church and has been in that role since 1969. So mm. he's in his 54th year. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, incredible. And so you are involved in helping them in their social media platforms and trying to advance the cause that way yeah all their all their did all the mid ministries digital uh strategies so not just the social media mm -hmm. but now the website all okay. the apps all the digital platforms that we use to carry out the mission statement at grace to you which is to get john macarthur's teaching uh materials his sermons his books all of his other resources uh to spread that far and wide around the world and we use those platforms to help do that wonderful very good well um, brother, you have written together with Virgil Walker a, a book that has been tremendously helpful called Just Thinking About the State. And it's based off some of the podcasts that mm -hmm. you and Virgil have done. You've mm -hmm. got a very uh, influential and popular and useful long-form podcast mm -hmm. called Just Thinking. Yes. And I'm sure that most of our folks will mm -hmm. be familiar with it. If you're not, you need to be familiar with it. We'll link to it uh, in the notes for this episode. But this book, Just Thinking About the State, has uh, gone around the world and people have expressed appreciation. Uh, the reviews that we have had from people sending them back into us and reading them online, mm -hmm. uh, it, it struck a nerve. That's great. Mm -hmm. So tell us about, um, tell us about what led you to uh, address the issue of Christians in the state, the relationship of church to state and Christians in uh, a governmental system. You have to start first, uh, Tom, by saying uh, on the Just Thinking podcast, uh, what version I do, we strike nerves. <laughs> I mean, that's what we that's do. True. That's what the podcast does. 
We strike nerves. Uh, but to answer your question, I really can't take all the credit for the book because the book really was your idea. Mm. Uh, you approached Virgil and me about taking the episodes that are chapters in this book and, and converting them into manuscripts that might do well in the book. So we have to thank you for approaching us with that idea. Uh, but what Virgil and I do, you know, it, it, I have to say that it was all providential. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what we do on the Just Thinking podcast is, uh, is, is quite simple uh, from a process standpoint. Um, Virgil and I have known each other now for almost six years. And over those years, uh, since the first episode of the podcast launched in December 17, we have come we have come to know one another like brothers. Mm. Um, and when you get close to someone like that, as if they're an immediate family member, you get to know more about how they think. Uh, you know more about their spiritual giftedness. Uh, you know, um, um, you can almost come to predict uh, how a person is going to think, act, behave. And uh, that comes to play here with respect to our book on just thinking about the state because the chapters that are included in the book are simply the fruit of topics that Virgil and I felt convicted about. We felt mm-hmm. strongly about addressing uh, on the Just Thinking podcast. And as we do on the podcast, as you described, Just Thinking is a long-form expositional uh, podcast where we take the Word of God and we overlay it up against the topic that we decide to address on a certain episode of the podcast. So um, the fact that our podcast is so expository requires that we do some significant deep dive research mm-hmm. and study. So all of our notes and preparation for every episode, regardless of what the title, is, the topic is rather, is uh, is uh, done in manuscript form. Uh, so we, we, we write in long form as if we're writing a book, if, as if you're writing a white paper, as if you're presenting a, a thesis paper on something. That's just how we prepare. Um, so it almost, it's almost as if we backed into the book. Mm. But so, so we didn't even realize that what we were doing in the process of our preparation and uh, doing a sort of a manuscript approach to our notes where we write everything out word for word, we cite everything in our footnotes as, as, as if a writer, the same way a writer would do it. It was you, Tom, who recognized, well, hey, hey wait a minute, these guys... These guys have book chapters here. Uh, they're not just podcast episodes. We could easily transform these into book chapters. Uh, so that's kind of how this came to be. So when I say providentially, it's, what I mean by that is that Virgil and I have have had no, we never, the thought of doing a book never crossed our mind until mm. you approached us with the idea. Mm. Never. We were doing podcast episodes. That were, That's what we were doing. So once we finished a certain topic, we moved on to the next one. And the notes just kind of, they're over here. Yeah. Um, and then you approached us with the idea of doing a book and uh, Justine about the state is the byproduct of that. Wonderful. Well, yeah, praise God for his yeah. providential yeah. arrangement Absolutely. of all those things, right? Absolutely. Praise God for your idea, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure it wasn't original. I don't know where it came from, but no, it's been good. And uh, we're looking forward to another book yeah. that is uh, already in pre-pub. So you can order it. You can go to founders.org org and get on our website there go to the bookstore and order just thinking about ethnicity mm-hmm. and we are delighted to have that one available too and uh, that's another it's going to be a, a wonderful resource people are already writing in saying how much mm-hmm. they have been helped by uh, getting the early copies of it and reading that as well yeah so brother thank you for thank your you stewardship. Tom. just want to mention real quick so just thinking about ethnicity is the second in a trilogy Mm-hmm. of books that uh, Virgil and I are doing with Founders Founders Publishing. And uh, so there's Just Thinking About the State, which is a, we'll talk about more in a second, and then Just Thinking About Ethnicity. 
is the second one, and then just thinking about the church right. is the third one to come. So uh, excited about it. Yeah. Man. Really excited about it. We're excited well as well. Well, Graham, we talk a lot about uh, how to best encourage the members of our church here at Grace and Cape Coral to steward their places in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of times that necessarily involves how they engage the government. And we've had people that have participated in some government meetings, some that have gotten involved in local school board, uh, in uh, judicial uh, arenas as well. So thinking about the state Mm -hmm. is vitally important. So what Mm -hmm. would you say? I'm I'm going to pitch it to you, and then then, Daryl will ask you to just follow up on it. I mean, how should Christians fundamentally be thinking about our place in the world as people of God, members of a church, but citizens of an earthly kingdom as well mm-hmm. as citizens of heaven. Well, I think it's a, it, it's absolutely necessary. Unless you're uh, living on a desert island by yourself, you mm-hmm. are going to be a part of some government. Um, and you have some sort of responsibility as to how you steward that, your, your portion of, of, uh, of be- becoming a part of that, that government. And, and here in America, I mean, we, it's, it's very clearly laid out what our responsibilities, what our duties as citizens are in terms of voting, uh, People can Christians can run for office, very different, various different offices, um, and so we do try to help our members know or to realize that they have a a duty, they have a stewardship given by the Lord, and it's not just that you know we have a responsibility to disciple the nations and proclaim the gospel. Which that's first and foremost for us as Christians, um, but as you said, we also are part of an earthly kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, we we've been given in the Garden of Eden. And then given again in, in the Noahic Covenant, a responsibility to uh, have dominion over the earth. And part of what that looks like is forming societies for humanity to be able to flourish, to, mm. to continue to take dominion. And so nobody really has the luxury to say, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I don't, I don't have any part in that. That's for everyone else to do. And maybe I'll think about that once a, a couple times and when, when it's time to vote. You know, it's, it's not how Christians ought to think about it. Yeah. That's well put. Daryl, what would you say? How, how would you encourage Christians to think about this? Yeah, so as I listen to Graham, I'm uh, reflecting on Jesus' high priestly prayer in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane in John 17. And then verse 15 stands out where Jesus explicitly asks his heavenly Father to not take us out of the world. Mm-hmm. That's very explicit. John 17, 15. There's no ambiguity about that. So you, as a Christian, you have to ask yourself, okay, well, one of the, what is one of the purposes for which seeing that I'm to remain in the world until Jesus takes me to heaven? What is my role as a representative of Christ in the world? Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of those roles of many, uh, many innumerable probably roles that we have as believers is to represent Christ with respect to how we are governed. Uh, there's the govern, there's the government, and then there's the govern. Without a people to govern, there is no government. Um, and there, there is a role for us to play in uh, effectuating what kind of government it is we want uh, to be an authority over us. Um, so the idea of Christians interacting in the government is fundamentally theological. It is secondarily political. It is secondarily social. It is secondarily anthropological. It is fundamentally biblical and theological. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, tying this back to the, the, the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 and the fall of man, uh, government has been comprised of sinners ever since. 
so that is one reality that should motivate us and inspire us as believers to get involved in what in that in that, in the process of uh, uh, as Graham just said uh, of of influencing how government is formed, how it's, how it operates, how it uh, uh, governs us uh, in accordance with uh, biblical principles. Now, I say that in the context of Romans 13, which is clear that God instituted government for our good, for our good. I love what John Calvin said. He said that uh, magistrates, obviously, which is a term you would use in the 16th century, that magistrates should see themselves as God's lieutenants. I love that. Mag- magistrates in, in, in our day, that would include anyone in a, in a position of governmental authority over us, that they should see themselves as God's lieutenants. That means uh, to, Calvin's using sort of a military uh, vernacular there to say that those who are in authority over us are not autonomous in their position, that they're going to be accountable to God. They're responsible mm-hmm. to God right now. Even if you're an unbeliever, in a position of authority, you are in a position of accountability to God. And by God's grace, that, that man or that woman should come to realize that, that they don't just represent themselves. They have no autonomy, no right to go and act outside of the boundaries of God's established principles and precepts in their role in governing us. Um, but when we look around the landscape of the, of the world today, uh, we see that there are individuals in very, very powerful positions who don't really care mm-hmm. about God's boundaries. They don't really care about God's principles of uh, how we are to be governed. And if that's not enough for Christians to wake up and get involved in having a say-so in that, then I don't know what's going to motivate mm-hmm. them. Uh, but again, just to tie this all up, Jesus prayed that we not be taken out of the world. We are not to just be here as static apathetic potted plants, you know, just existing and doing nothing and watching, you know, the flames just burn everything up. Um, We are to, uh, as representatives of Christ uh, and out of love for him and his church and his world uh, to be engaged, to be involved at whatever level uh, uh, we are called to do that, uh, to help shape and form uh, the government by which we are um, are governed. Yeah, amen. Thank you for joining us for this conversation today. We wanted to remind you of the Founders National Conference that's coming up next year, January 18th through the 20th. It's a wonderful time to be here in Southwest Florida. We don't get hurricanes that time of year, and it's cold throughout the rest of the country. Our theme for the conference this year is Remember Jesus Christ. So the entire conference will be on the doctrine of Christ, and Dr. Joel Beakey, Tom Askell, Paul Washer, Conrad Mbewe, Travis Allen, Phil Johnson will be our speakers for that conference, and we'll also have a special guest, Allie Beth Stuckey, who will be there to do a live podcast with us as well as a breakout session for the women. So we'd love for you to join us here in Southwest Florida in January for our conference. You can go online and register at founders.org. I'm, I'm struck by um, when we think about our as duty as Christians to be citizens, but then our duty as Christians to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven and proclaim the gospel. 
uh, how much a, a right government, um, a, a righteous state can aid in the proclamation of the gospel. Right. Um, you know, we often think back to the early church and the ways in which the church expanded and grew, even under uh, pagan persecution from the Roman Empire. But then after the um, Roman Empire became Christianized, the the, the the religion spread even further and even even more quickly. And then as Islam grew and came into uh, the eastern parts of the empire and into North Africa, began to put down Christianity. And how much do we see Christianity flourishing, for instance, in North Africa? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and largely in part because the government in those regions has been an anti-Christian government. Right. Right. Uh, and so there really is an effect that the government has upon the proclamation of the gospel. Now the Lord can, can work in wonderful and miraculous ways, even in the midst of persecution. But often what we do see in history and in the Lord's providence, that when a wicked government comes in that is anti-Christian, what it does is it stamps out Christianity. Right. You know, one of the things I think has happened is uh, we've had it so good for so long in Western civilization, generally United States particularly, Mm -hmm. that I think Christians have kind of coasted and abdicated the responsibility to try to impact government because we just we're in a pluralistic world and uh, we don't want to be guilty of violating the separation of church and state and we don't really understand what that means and we haven't awakened yet to what time it is right. uh, this, this is something you know Aaron Wren's little diagram of of going from the positive world to the neutral world to the negative world we are in the negative world mm-hmm. now and I think there are multiple uh, admonitions given to us as followers of Jesus that would lead us to engage these issues, uh, not not the least of which is we're to be salt and light. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you let your light shine everywhere except in the political process. Right. You know, when the political process is corrupted and you know the God of grace and justice, then you need to speak to that corruption and do what you can to see that corruption overcome. Not because that's uh, something that's going to bring in the kingdom of God, not because we think that, man, if we get government right, then everything's going to be great. Mm-hmm. No, uh, we want to see the gospel advance. And if the government is, is oppressing, killing those that have the gospel that will advance it, well, then it is good work to try to get that government to recognize they're accountable to God. It was, is it Mark uh, 12, I think it is, it rendered to Caesar that which is Caesar's mm-hmm. and to God that which is mm-hmm. God's. I think too many Christians have looked at that and said, okay, you got Caesars right. over here, you got gods over here. No, you got Caesars here and you got God there because right. Caesar belongs to God right. too. Right. And as Christians, if we don't recover that, then we're going to be intimidated or we're going to be satisfied to just kind of hang out in our little ghettos over here and just say, okay, you know, we got our stuff, we'll do it, and we'll just let the world go the way it wants to. Yeah, you know, you talk about a negative being in a negative world. I mean, we've been in a negative world since Genesis 3. You know, and as I, I listen to you, Tom, I'm thinking about that old hymn, This Is My Father's World. Well, there's no fine print in that hymn. I mean, and what I mean by that is everything within the world is God's. I mean, how can it not be when God created the mm-hmm. world? He, God is not a God of confusion. There is a, there, is a, uh, there is a sort of very practical way in which Christians should see this entire world holistically through a biblical worldview, you, you cannot partition, as you just said, you cannot partition uh, the uh, reality of the world that we live in. It's not that politics is over here. Then you have a partition between politics mm-hmm. and the church. There's a partition between uh, the church and your family. There's a partition between your family and where you work. No, it's all one cohesive view from a biblical standpoint. Everything molds together under 
God's word and his authority. Uh, so government is the same way. And I totally agree with you. I think there's a degree of apathy among Christians to where they sort of partitioned, uh, you know, what is Caesar and what is God's. And, and I love how you did that. No, here's Caesar, here's God. Uh, but we've, we've, we've sort of grown into a sort of uh, lethargic mindset about mm-hmm. that to where I've even heard people say, and this, I, mean, I mean, Christians say, well, you know, if I vote, nothing's going to happen anyway, so I just won't mm-hmm. vote. Right. I mean, see, it's that kind of laziness yeah. mm-hmm. that has gotten us to where we are. And I love what you said. We're not talking about ushering in the kingdom of God here. You know, I think about Second Peter 3.13. It says, for the believer, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Mm-hmm. That heaven, that heaven, we're not trying to create heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is talking about. However, at the same time, you do want people in authority over you who are going to carry out that Romans 13 mandate. And as Calvin said, see themselves as God's lieutenants and, and go, who will govern you for your good. Mm-hmm. Now, the rapidity and the aggressiveness by which we see the government getting more and more un- demonstrated, demonstratively rather, uh, more and more ungodly with uh, abortion, transgenderism, um, and then w- with the climate change movement. Oh my gosh! I mean, it's 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 it, we are beholden as Christians and our our, our our obligation to the Lord to become astute, educated, informed, and involved on these issues because this is God's world. Mm-hmm. This is his world. You are, if you're a believer, you are Christ's ambassador. That's what the scripture says. We're to be salt and light, as you said, Tom. Um, Jesus' metaphor said, who would be, who would light a lamp and then put it under a bushel to never be seen? But we got a countless people who profess to be believers who are doing exactly that. They're taking their lamp and putting it under a bushel to where nobody can see it. Um, I think one thing that maybe has led to, from what I see, that has led to some of the Christian apathy maybe over the past 50, 60 years in politics and in just public life is they get nervous when they hear people like us talking about these issues um, because the they're afraid they're going to be accused of merging church and state. Mm-hmm. They're going to be accused of wanting a theocracy, um, that we're going to just throw religious freedom or religious toleration out the window. So uh, maybe Daryl and Tom, what, what's the difference between what we are saying and say a theocracy is what we are advocating for um, a total uh, abolishing of any sort of distinction between church and state. Mm. No, I mean, for me, not at all. I believe in the separation of church and state. I don't believe in the separation of God and state mm-hmm. because God created the state. Mm-hmm. And understanding that, I mean, I think that's fundamental for Christians. I think mm-hmm. we've lost that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a conversation earlier today with an unbeliever about this that, as I've said multiple times, the most important verse in all the Bible is Genesis 1-1. Mm-hmm. This really is God's mm-hmm. world. Yes, God created it. Yeah. And so it's his world. He gets to make up the rules, and he has made up the rules. They're not arbitrary. They come from his own nature about what's good and bad and right and wrong mm-hmm. and, and beautiful and ugly. All, all the things that God's revealed to us come from uh, his own being. And as creatures made in his image in his world, the best way to live is in harmony mm-hmm. with what he says. Mm-hmm. Now that's creational, but then beyond that, we've got the redemptive 
aspects as well. God gave up his son for us. And Jesus has come to reverse the curse that came upon us because of our rebellion against God to take away our sin and to render us righteous in the sight of our creator, to give us new life. And so as those who have been made in God's image and been recreated in Christ Jesus, we have a responsibility to represent our God, our Savior, in his world. And what God has done is established jurisdictions in the world mm-hmm. where he has delegated his authority. You've got the, the home, you've got the church, you've got the state, and you've got lesser jurisdictions that kind of intermingle with that. But to the church, he's given the keys of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. To the state, he's given the sword. And to the home, he's given the rod. Now, all three of those have responsibility to God. And as Christians, we recognize that. We honor it in the church. We honor it in our homes. But we need to honor it in our states as well. And Mm -hmm. we need to call upon those who have authority in the legislative realm or the judicial realm or the executive realm of government to recognize that they are God's deacons. God put them there. They will answer to God. And we, we pray almost every Sunday for President Biden, Governor DeSantis, and some local um, uh, civic leaders as well. And almost without fail, we, somewhere in the prayer, there will be this uh, recognition that they are God's servants mm-hmm. to do good for God's right. people, or to do good for all people, and to punish evil in the mm-hmm. world. And we want them to know that. Mm-hmm. They need to be held accountable. So the people who are afraid, oh, no, man, you're talking about doing away with religious liber- liberty or religious freedom, I want to say, where do you think the religious liberties you enjoy came from? Right. Mm. They came from the God who says, you can't coerce people into belief. Yep. You can't make converts with a sword. Mm-hmm. And if we continue to uh, defy that God and his way, then watch what happens. It's already happening. We are seeing wickedness prevail, evil come, less and less freedom. And it's because we're rebelling against the God whose world it is, who knows how it works best, who's told us how we are to live. Well, and the reality is, is the government that we currently have is seeking to make converts into its pagan religion. Absolutely. Right. So there never will be a, a separation between religion and state, though there right. ought to always be a, a division, a separation between church and state. That's right. There will always be some religion that informs the laws of a land. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a question of are we going to have a, a religious uh, basis to our government. The question is, which religion is it going to yeah, be? Yeah, so government, pub, uh, government, funded and led public schools are seeking to make converts into Absolutely. their pagan religion. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's a good way to think about that with what you said earlier. Yeah, there's really the more I listen to you guys talk about this, there, there's really only two religions: there's Christianity and there's paganism. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Uh, even the state uh, is a religion. Uh, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, when you look at it, because the state will will try to propagate. Uh, let me put it this way: the state has its evangelists as well. Uh, uh, so I love when you talk about jurisdictions. So when you look at closely what the state is up to, uh, whether it's a federal level, state level, or local level, the state is now evangelizing, to your point, Graham, about um, uh, you know making converts. Uh, I think you see this most egregiously in the public schools, uh, where teachers are being given more and more authority to become proxy parents to the students for the sole purpose of dividing and creating antagonism between that student, that child, and their natural 
authority figures who are, who, is the, who are their mother and their father. I don't know if it can be argued. I, I think the climate change is right. The, the climate change movement is right there with what's going on with in, in the government schools. But it would be hard to beat those two as examples, as better examples of how the gospel, and I'm putting this in air quotes, mm-hmm. how the gospel of government and how uh, the proselytizing of that uh, gospel is being effectuated in the world today um, to the extent to where you're having teachers who just 10 years ago could have been trusted to help teach your child how to read, how to write, how to do basic addition, subtraction, multiplication. Now what's happening in less than a decade has been replaced with SEL, social emotional learning to where your child is being told by their teacher that you're not safe with your parents. Mm. You're safe here. You're not safe with your parents. Your parents don't want to recognize you as the gender that you feel like you are in your body. They don't, they don't, they don't want to recognize you. They want to affirm that. You can trust me. I love you. Your mother doesn't love you. Your parent doesn't love you. So they're actually robbing them, robbing these children under the auspices of government, they're robbing these children of their natural imago Dei, the image of God in which they were created, and creating antagonistic relationships between them and their parents, which will ruin their lives mm-hmm. forever, uh, unless God, by some miracle, intervenes and remedies that situation. Uh, so we have to understand this. Um, that as believers, there is no there is no separating the two. If you're a Christian, you must your biblical worldview, if you have one, and you should, your worldview worldview should apply to government as well as as it should apply to everyone else. And let me say this, uh, and I'll, I'll wrap it up. When you talk about this whole idea of a theocracy and theonomy and all that kind of stuff, um, here's the thing. Um, I could submit, uh, and, and I, I do that now. Um, you talked earlier, uh, Tom, about jurisdictions. Um, I think it can be argued that marriage is one of those theonomic jur- jurisdictions if the two are believers. You are submissive to the principles and precepts of God's law as it applies to your marriage, hopefully. Um, where you work, you conduct and comport yourself in a manner that's conducive to representing the God in who you profess to believe. So even in these little jurisdictions, you are, uh, you are applying a theonomic um, operating model, if I could say that, and how you conduct yourself in your marriage, at your job, as a parent, how you handle your finances. Um, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're not mm. talking about trying to advocate and push for a theonomic government, because again, what does that get you if if the heart if the hearts of people don't change? I can submit by force, I can submit by coercion to a law or a rule. You know, every time we're driving our car and we stop at a red light or a stop sign, uh, it's not the stop sign or the traffic light itself. They have no intrinsic or inherent power to make me stop my vehicle. What makes me stop my vehicle? is among other things, 
fear of consequences if I don't stop my vehicle. There are uh, ramifications for me not stopping at a red light or a stop sign. And, and those ramifications are inherent to the law, which those symbols represent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hope this is making sense. You can still, you can, you can advocate for a uh, biblical government without arguing for a theonomistic the, government or theocracy. You, I'm talking principle versus uh, force of law. Mm-hmm. Um, uh no law is inherently forceful. If you can make all the law, man, we're seeing that in other places, LA right now, you look at what's happening with the retail shops being robbed um, just at will with no fear of uh, punishment. Mm-hmm. This is the human heart at work. So how can you, how, what does a, what does a, what does a theonomic government do for that? Yeah. It's not going to change a, a, a single thing. If the heart doesn't change, the, the, the laws get you nothing. Uh, so the law in and of itself doesn't effectuate a society apart from the intent that is present in the heart of the person to obey that law. Yeah, and, and, and I think you know, I would distinguish between what we want to see happen to people to make them right with God to affect their eternal destinies. You can't, you can't yes. coerce that. Right. But driving a, a car and seeing a stop sign, well, if you break the law there, well, you, okay, you might get a ticket, you might go to jail. And the law does have a pedagogical use. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things I think we need to recover. I really hope that uh, in Founders we can start trying to uh, promote that more and more, that it has a way of restraining sin mm-hmm. in society mm-hmm. by saying this is what's right, this is what's wrong. And I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Daryl, doesn't hadn't California basically said that anything less than nine hundred dollars yeah. you yeah. can just steal? Yeah. So they've changed the law in effect, and they've said you can do immoral things legally. Right. And so that that dimension of the law restraining evil has just been given up. And let me let me add to that. In California right now, the General Assembly um, they're considering passing if it hasn't already passed a law that would make it illegal for you to confront <laughs> th- thieves. Yeah. So the thieves now have an added layer of protection. And what's happening in California, especially in LA, is they know about this $900 limit, but if I get 10 of us together, we can make that, we can turn that $900 into 9,000. It is amazing when you have a godless government how thieves have more protections than innocent people. That's right. And it really is true. Mercy to the guilty is injustice to the innocent. That's exactly right. That's yeah. a good point. Hey, this is Daryl Harrison, co-host of the Just Thinking Podcast, and just wanted to let you know that the second in our trilogy of books with Founders Press is fast approaching being available to you. It's called Just Thinking About Ethnicity. Just Thinking About Ethnicities. Pre-orders are available right now at press.founders.org. That's press.founders.org. You can go there right now and pre-order Just Thinking About Ethnicity. The book will ship in January 20. 24. Just thinking about ethnicity, go to press.founders.org to pre-order today. I do think there are some people that are genuinely committed to trying to see a theocracy. I think it's a fool's errand to do that. But I think there are some that are flying under the banner of theonomy, and they don't want that. They, They just want 
just laws. They want just laws to come uh, and be uh, asserted again with consequences for violation of those laws to provide a civil society, you know, peaceful society. And to that, I say, amen. You know, you mm-hmm. call it whatever you want to. I don't, that's not what I understood theonomy to be back in the 80s. Right. Whenever I was first introduced to it and reading some of the guys that were proposing it, I, I think they went beyond that. But absolutely, all law is at its foundation religious and the fact that we say you shall not steal is because the God who created the world said you shall not steal, that it's wicked for you to steal. And it grieves me to see those basic laws being thrown overboard in the name of freedom to satisfy the God of self, that I can do whatever I want to do and you can't be the boss of me yeah. and you just leave me alone. When we who know the living God, who have the power of the gospel, uh, have for so long just remained silent or been willing to just kind of let that go because we were afraid that if we spoke up, we might be violating church and state. You know, we might be asserting uh, our religious views in a way that would be impolite. I look at it the exact opposite now, and I, I have to confess that over the last six, seven years, I've been forced to think about this in ways that prior to this, it just, I never went that deep. I'm playing catch up, you know, yeah. I'm behind the curve in trying to get back up to speed. But I now see this as a fundamental dimension of loving my neighbor. If I love my neighbors, I love myself, then I want for my neighbor what I want for myself. What do I want for myself? Well, as God has taught me this word about what's good and right and true, I want that. Mm-hmm. And when it, I see that government can't deliver all that, but government can be useful to promoting what's good and to punishing what's evil. And so if I love my neighbor, I'm going to want government to facilitate that. Mm -hmm. And I I think about, you know, John the Baptist telling Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Mm -hmm. Well, Herod wasn't a Christian. Right. No, it's not lawful. You're under God. Or when Paul uh, and Silas, you know, in in Philippi, whenever they'd unjustly beat them as Roman Mm -hmm. citizens, and then when they figured out they were Roman citizens, they said, let's get rid of these guys quietly. They said, no way. You come down here. Tell your bosses to come down here because they have unjustly beat us and they held them accountable. Uh, we can do that without being uh, belligerent or being angry or being jerks. But, man, we have got to reassert this is what the Lord says. God ordained government. And whether you like it or not, every nation, every governmental system, every magistrate is under the authority of God. And they're going to give an account one day. You know, as I listen to you, Tom, I think about something I've often said, you know, laws exist essentially to protect sinners from other sinners. Mm. That's really why laws exist because we're sinful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think an irony of that reality though, is, is that we're so sinful that there's an aspect of the depth of our uh, sinfulness that doesn't want laws that protect us from sinning. Mm. I think that is the most warped <laughs> example of how depraved the human heart can get is that there are people now who don't want laws on the books to pre- to prevent sinners from sinning against other people. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think Cal- California now is the poster child in terms of states for that. They are doing everything they can to remove protections from children uh, from being sexually abused, from being sexually trafficked, uh, all under the guise of liberty, freedom, which is really slavery. I mean, this, mm-hmm. this is, this is, this is slavery to sin in its most depraved ways. When you have 
elected officials uh, uh, supporting and advocating for abortion up until birth. Have you ever heard of a more contradictory statement? Mm-hmm. Abortion up to yeah. birth. Yeah. There is no birth with an abortion. So how can you say abortion up to birth? Mm-hmm. After birth is murder. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Before birth is murder. Mm-hmm. But we have to call the preborn one thing, the preborn murder of a child one thing. We call the post uh, uh, birth murder of a child. We call that murder. We call that homicide. But again, you, it's, it's just amazing how Jeremiah 17, 9 comes to light uh, where the human heart is, is sick and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's a rhetorical question. Mm-hmm. You can't. So just when you think we can't get any more depraved, here we go. Mm-hmm. Hold my beer. You know, right? <laughs> no, we're gonna, I'm going to show you how much more depraved I can get. And here's how. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, the gospel has to be at the forefront here. Um, what makes a law just? What makes a law just is, first of all, it's got to be objective. It's got to be outside of us uh, because we want what we want. And we're not, we're human beings inherently, we're not capable of making just laws. We have to look at God. We have to look at God and his character and his nature and what he deems to be right, wrong, evil, good for our benefit and not for our benefit. That should be the basis of all mm-hmm. our laws in this society. But you know, what do we want to do? We want to move God out. We want to destroy him, pretend he doesn't exist. And when, we, when, when we're seeing the, the ramifications of that, when that happens, even the laws that we enact are becoming more depraved. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Even the laws. Absolutely. How can, I mean, how, where do you go from there? I mean, seriously, when when the, when your own laws are depraved, rooted in evil, rooted rooted in spiritual wickedness, where can you go from there? I mean, that's suicide. Yeah, and that's where we are. That's where we're going. I just was reading about this uh, lady who, back after uh, Obergefell was uh, in Kentucky and refused to issue a marriage license mm-hmm. to two men. Well, she's now being either fined or somehow having to pay $100,000, I think, to both of those parties. And this is a lawful thing. Yeah. I mean, it's immoral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is, according to the decision makers and judicial system in Kentucky, this is the consequence of her simply doing what is right and good. Yeah. So it's going to happen. There's somebody's values, some religious orientation is going to determine the laws that a people live by. Right. And we who are Christians who know the Lord Jesus, who have been so blessed in this country. I mean, we've got all of our problems and and those are in the record books and, and we shouldn't deny them. But this country was founded on understanding that there's a God in heaven. Even the deists yes. back in the right. early colonial era I mean, I wish we had more of those around yeah. us today. <laughs> you know? uh, those were deists that, that understood some things and feared God in ways that uh, even many Christians, professing I, I, Christians I think today. The const- I think the U.S. Constitution is a perfect example of that, Tom. You read the Constitution, even, the, even though some of the founders were deists, you understand that they, they had a homardiology, they had a doctrine of mm-hmm. sin that was clearly better than some seminary-trained theologians have 
today. There are protections within the Constitution mm -hmm. that are there because they understood mm -hmm. that men are prideful, men are selfish, men are greedy, men look after their own self-interest above the interests of those that they govern. So I don't look at the Constitution. I'm not saying the Constitution is a theological document. I am saying when you look at the principles and the precepts that are within that, contained within that document, they are theological. They are biblical, even though you won't see chapter verse, but there are doctrines represented in there that, that, that tell you that these men understood that the heart of man is unpredictable. They understood Jeremiah 17, 9. Mm -hmm. That's why you can read that document and see. That's why the three branches exist. One branch checks the other, that which checks the other, because men are sinful. They understood that. Yeah. So I'll give them that. If I don't give them anything else, I'll give them that. Yeah, there's no doubt that it at least presupposed a Christian framework. Right. Absolutely. In that sense, it's religious, just like the law in California that says you can steal up to $900 worth of material, and if you try to stop them, you're going to be punished. That's also religious. Mm -hmm. sure. That's a religious, sure. That's a religious worldview that's behind that law. They, they, it's religious because they use the word steal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the fact that they think this is a right and good thing. Well, why do they think that? Because of their understanding of human nature, because of their understanding of uh, justice and injustice. All of those things come to play, which are at the root, they are religious. They're religious. Of course they are. And just the more we sort of deconstruct this, I'll use that word. <laughs> we're deconstructionists we're, we're, now. We're, 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 we're going to be called that now, so. The more we deconstruct the secular realm of government, the more you really uncover that it's not really secular. No, that's right. It's not. It's, it's religious. That's right. And you know, in California, with that nine hundred dollar threshold, first of all, I like to know why they capped it at nine hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, why why just even it off at a thousand? Why not cap it at ten thousand? But they used the word steal. Steal, <laughs> steal, steal is not a concept that is that originates out of us, mm -hmm. out of our human nature. This is a commandment of God. Yeah. This is a commandment of God. The idea, the idea that there is such a thing as theft, that there is such a thing as private property, that's why it's called stealing because that which belongs to me doesn't belong to you. Mm. By divine law, okay, right. by divine law. So if you take it, if, if you take private property that's out and you do that outside of God's ordained principles by which I either give that to you volitionally or voluntarily, or we make it a contract by which we exchange goods and services for that. Uh, you have broken God's law. Amen. You haven't just broken the laws of LA County or the state of California. You've broken God's law. Yeah. God said thou shalt not steal. That's what makes that law religious. It is not secular because mm. the concept of private property and theft and stealing originates with God, not with us. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely right, and you deal with that in this book, um, the chapter on capitalism. You yeah. get into that as well. This, this is a wonderful book. Uh, we recommend it to you. Again, you can get this at founders.org. We would be delighted uh, to make these available for you. It makes a great Bible study as well, and so there are groups of people that have read through this book with great profit uh, along the way. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us on the Sword and Trial. My pleasure, Tom. It's good to be back with you, man, after such a long time. Yeah, it's great to have you here, and we appreciate you for tuning in today. If this episode's been helpful to you, would you spread it around, encourage others to listen in? If you hadn't subscribed to the Sword and Trial, we'd encourage you to do that. And as always, we want to thank our Founders Alliance members, those who support us and stand with us here at Founders to help us produce the kind of content that we do in order to make it available freely to church leaders and churches. Why are we here? 
What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is, is forgetting. We, we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme over all. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. We're there to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.